in the world of psych, there's a lot of people who show avoidance behavior. That is, they, they specifically ignore and go out of their way to avoid stimuli that make them anxious. And they're likely to continue to avoid. They're likely to continue to avoid and continue to avoid. Why? Why is this avoidance behavior maintained? And the idea is that if I avoid stimuli situations that make me anxious, then my anxiety levels drop. And if my anxiety levels drop because I avoid, if my behavior is avoiding, and the consequence is anxiety going down, we can say we've done what? Reinforced avoidance behavior negatively, because the negative part is that removal of the anxiety-provoking stimulus. So we have talked a lot about how classical conditioning underlies a lot of the acquisition of a phobia, sorry. but the fact that they continue to sorry did this skip one. Now, let's say you did have a bad experience with, say, Ferris wheel, and you never want to go on a Ferris wheel again. Why didn't that fear extinguish? This was 20 years ago that this happened, or longer. Why is I'm still fearful of Ferris wheels? The concern is that people who are phobic of something do avoid. And how do you get over fears? We talked about if you learn a fear through classical conditioning, what should occur? Disassociation, which means you have to have an experience with Ferris wheel, nothing bad happening, and brother not tormenting you. But, so exposure, 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 without that scary thing happening. But people who avoid don't get that extinction process. They've only had the one trial. They've had the frightening experience and frightening response, but because they avoid, they never get the chance to extinguish their fear. Okay? So that avoidance behavior, they get negatively reinforced for, their anxiety goes down, but all it's doing is promoting avoidance behavior. You don't ever get over your fear of dogs or flying or heights or anything else if you don't expose. That's one of the arguments for why phobias persist is that they don't have the exposures that are necessary to disassociate the unconditioned and the conditioned stimuli. So the, the term for the fact that both classical and operant conditioning underlie these behaviors, we just say, call it two-factor theory. It's not totally explained by one or the other types of learning. But classical underlies the development, acquisition of a phobia. But what maintains the phobia is that avoidance behavior that prevents you from actually going through an extinction process. OCD, another example of negative reinforcements and avoidance behavior. We recall that Obsessive-compulsive disorder involves that repetitive, intrusive, undesirable, unwanted urge or image or thought. And then the compulsion is the behavior that we do repetitively to reduce anxiety about the obsession. If I am concerned about germs, overly obsessed and intrusive thoughts about contamination, I go wash. And as a result of my washing, what happens? anxiety goes down. So we say what? We say that compulsions are negatively reinforced. They're more likely to be done again in the future. I'm going to wash again. Oh, why am I going to wash again? I'm going to check again. I'm going to check again because it takes away my anxiety when I do that. So compulsive behaviors are negatively reinforced and sort of, again, promotes the avoidance of the, the thing that makes them anxious. 
we have two-factor theory taking place again in drug, in the drug addiction world. We talked a lot about the role of classical conditioning in drug seeking, drug relapse behavior, tolerance. Does operant conditioning play a role? Do we do drugs because they make you feel good? Absolutely. So we have positive reinforcement just by the fact that these drugs activate our, our ventral tegmental area to nucleus accumbens pleasure pathway. Our reward pathway is getting activated. We are supposed to experience pleasure. We are experiencing pleasure, and you will be positively reinforced for using most drugs of abuse. Is there negative reinforcement going on? If I drink alcohol, maybe it's not really giving me a, a great sense of pleasure, but what's it taking away? My worries, my stress, my, it just helps me less be less anxious. It's not really making me feel good. Or maybe there's both things going on. It is making me feel good and I now am less stressed, less socially phobic. So between positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, classical conditioning, we've got a lot of reasons why people continue to use drugs. And the fact that, and this is back to when we first discussed the needle habit, you'll note that it said classical and operant features, basically. And the needle habit, we said, developed because classical, it has classical conditioning drug-like effects, right? That's why they inject themselves with saline, because there's classical conditioning of drug-like responses. But the reason why they continue to do it is because it takes away that withdrawal. It takes away negative feelings, it takes away negative physical feelings, it takes away unpleasantness. And again, just to belabor, you, heroin's a classic example that has a very intense level of euphoria. They often describe this as it's like orgasm, but affecting every single nerve ending of your body. I mean, they, people describe it as really, really, really intense. So that's powerful. It's got hugely po uh, positive reinforcing effects. And then and when they diminish, and you're coming down and feeling dysphoric and achy and runny nose and diarrhea, that you are likely going to be using heroin again very shortly, not only because it gives you this great sense of high, but because it's taking away your... your flu-like symptoms, so negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement. Stimulus control, this is kind of a confusing concept, but try to make it clear. The idea is that in the world of operant conditioning, we said here's a behavior and a consequence. So let's say the behavior is eating. So I eat because I'm hungry, and my consequence is what? Yeah, it tasted good, makes me happy. What's the likelihood I'm going to eat again? Great, very great that I'm going to eat again. So I have just a simple operant conditioning scenario. But that doesn't happen, in a, again, in a vacuum. There's a context, there's stimuli that are present as I'm engaging in that behavior, whatever that behavior is, and then I get the consequence of my behavior, but stimuli are associated with it. And the stimuli that are associated with it kind of promote you, promote the likelihood you're even going to engage in the behavior to get the consequence. Again, here's an example. So we will go through the eating example. So the behavior is, I'm eating. I'm eating, and as a consequence, I feel good. I get pleasure when I eat, it was good food. That is just plain old operant conditioning. Why am I going to eat again? I engage in a behavior, I felt good, positive reinforcement, I'm gonna likely do it again. Stimulus control is saying there are stimuli, what they call discriminative 
stimuli, estes, antecedent, triggers, that are associated with the behavior that you just got reinforced for. I eat when I watch TV. So what's the chances that next time you are watching TV that you'll want to eat, even if you're not hungry? And that's the concern is some of our behaviors that do get reinforced get associated with this, this, the, it could be the emotional state, it could be, the, again, the environmental context, whether, oh, whenever I socialize, I always eat. Whenever I um, am sad, I eat. So we have operant conditioning effects. You're likely to eat again because just straight positive reinforcement. So because the consequence, positive reinforcement, is going to keep me eating. But the fact that stimuli have been paired with that are going to promote the likelihood I'm going to eat probably in inappropriate situations because I'm not even hungry. But those antecedent, those discriminative stimuli are promoting the likelihood I'm going to engage in my behavior. So what do you think treatment's going to involve? Trying to really minimize, especially if this is a problem that you eat when you're worried, you eat when you're sad, you eat when you're whatever you're doing and you don't want to be doing that, the chances are treatment's going to focus on what are those discriminative stimuli. And let's control those stimuli such that it's only you're going to eat at the dinner table. No TV. So you're going to limit the number of stimuli that actually are associated with your behavior. Punishment. Okay, so we've gone through a lot of reinforcement. Punishment says that you operated on the environment. Consequence happened. Less likely to do that behavior again. And once again, we have the world of positive and negative punishment. Positive punishment says, you're less likely to do that again because I've applied something painful. I've applied something noxious, something unpleasant to you. So what can you do? You don't want your child, your animal, your spouse to do this again. What do you do? That is positive punishment. We do spanking. We scold. We can shock. We can do... All, anything that causes unpleasantness. How do we diminish a behavior by removing something that's pleasant? Because that's still going to decrease the likelihood, but I've got to take away something you like. Grounding. It's the classic. It's remove privileges. It's back to remove what? Remove something. So if we wanted to discourage a behavior, removing privileges, whether it's iPad, Internet, phone, riding the bike, whatever it is, it's taking away privileges. I'm going to punish that unprofessional behavior and I'm going to take away your points. That is negative punishment. We're taking away, so anything taking away, removing, not talking to someone anymore. Removing attention is supposed to be an example of taking away something that w is presumably desirable. My, once again, the strategy, the formula you would use is Look at the behavior that it's identified. Look at the consequence. Is that behavior that's been identified likely to go up or down? In this case, if it's going to go down, it's punishment. And you ask, how did it go down or why did it go down? If it went down because something aversive was applied, probably that means it would be positive because you applied something aversive. And if you said, well, the behavior went down because I took away something that you liked, then that would be more negative punishment. So again, apply that formula.
So what is the behavior in question? The behavior in question is whether we want to take on another goat, whether we want to goat sit. Consequence of at least Duncan's aspect of goat sitting. He gets pooped on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it happened, exactly happened. Fine, send me in my lap. I get up to open the gate and peed and pooed right on him. So the question is, what has happened to Duncan's willingness to take on a goat if this is the consequence? Likely gone down, so it's punished, and how? Ah, uh, would ever be a verse, aversion has been applied. Okay. okay, definitely not reinforced by, not in this one. What affects how effective punishment is? Same thing that we talked about with reinforcement. We need to have immediacy as much as possible, clarity of if this happens, here's the consequence. So we need the contingency to be very spelled out, crystal clear. And then we also want the, um, even though if the contingency is spelled out, it better be enforced. Because if it's not enforced consistently, then the punishment's not going to be as effective if, if it's not happening regularly or reliably. And one of the problems when we look at health risky behaviors is that how do we punish drug use, alcohol use, smoking, sun tanning. How do we punish these when the consequence of these aren't likely seen for years, if not longer? And it's hard to discourage certain behaviors when the punishment isn't so re readily apparent. So these behaviors are harder to, to modify. What are problems with using at least physical punishment? One would be if you imagine if you're the recipient of being spanked repeatedly that chances are you end up getting a little irked, you get a little resentful, you get vindictive, There's, you're not liking that person so much. And to the point where you might not, if it's father that always the one that dishes out the spanking, it might be now I'm afraid, I don't even want to come out of my room, dad's home. They might end up being fearful of the person who is actually perpetrating the, the, the physical punishment. We also are concerned a bit about what that might, what message that might be giving, especially to kids who might not be able to understand the difference between parents disciplining, spanking a child for misbehaving, parents' authority figure trying to modify behavior. But now here's a kid that's playing with other children and the kid didn't like what the friend's doing, so he hits the kid. You can't do that. Well, dad does it. And so they're not understanding that, well, it happens to me when I misbehave, and that child was misbehaving, so I can hit him. So the, the modeling of showing that it's okay to hit might not be the best message. Part of the problem with punishment in general is that you are saying, you're, you're identifying the behaviors that you're not supposed to do. Bad. Okay, I understand that. Bad. Okay, what do you want me to do? And the question is, what is it that I'm supposed to do? And if all you're doing is telling them what's bad, what's wrong, what's wrong, you're not necessarily learning what is expected. How do I avoid getting the spanking again? So the idea is you should be using reinforcement, positive, negative, whatever it is, to identify these behaviors are what I want to cultivate. These are what I expect of you. And not just say wrong, 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 and let the kid guess what might be what the parents want from them. Other situation might be, you have to be sure that the, the consequence is actually punishing to them. If you say, oh, I'm going to send you to your room, or 
you're now not going to be able to, and maybe this isn't really punishing to them. And in some cases, there might be children who deliberately misbehave, deliberately backtalk, deliberately draw on the walls, deliberately provoke a reaction from their parents, and then the parents yell at them, and the parents ground them. And you realize that the kid actually is getting reinforced for those behaviors. Why? Because the kid needed the attention. The kid was getting neglected. When does this normally happen? Why would a kid get neglected and have to act up to get attention? Chances are there's someone else in the household that might be a more problematic child, and the parent's attention is always on the problematic child, where the good child is just getting ignored. The good, chi the good child no one pays attention to. So now the good kid realizes, I, can, I need attention. I know how to get it. And it misbehaves so that someone actually looks at them. So just be careful that punishment isn't what you think is punishment might not always and be punishment. Just to give you an example, in the goat world, we thought that if we wanted to stop our goats from eating pineapple plants and eating our banana trees, that when they are caught in the action, what do we do? Spank them. Tap. Guess what? They like it. They like being spanked. It provokes play behavior. So now we definitely don't spank because all it does is get them all wound up and happy. So you have to be really careful about what actually is reinforcing and punishing because it's not modifying their behavior. It might be increasing their behavior. All right. In the world of punishers, once again, we have primary, secondary. If it's a primary punisher, it's more, again, biologically innate. It's not learned. I don't have to learn that the big letter F on a homework assignment means bad. This is... Anything that you have to learn would be a secondary. Anything that more naturally causes discomfort would be considered primary. I can already hear you saying, is this punishment or is this reinforcement? <laughs> Let's go with the intention, the intention here, not what actually might have happened in real life. Here's a behavior. Husband's disrespectful. Wife wants to presumably punish it. She wants to decrease it. How is she deciding to decrease it? By withdrawing attention. Okay, so the intent is, I'm going to punish it. I want to decrease that disrespectful behavior by taking away presumably something the husband likes, which is her talking and her attention. So the goal, the idea is that this is an example of negative punishment. Now, we're back to the question is, maybe the husband is happy that she's not talking because when she doesn't talk, she doesn't nag. And when she doesn't talk, she, and maybe this is actually reinforcing. And that is it. That is somewhat of a concern in some relationships. Nearing the end, and then we'll do some practice questions and then call it a morning. Operant extinction. 
how do we extinguish a behavior that we learned through operant conditioning? Well, let's think about first extinction in the world of classical conditioning. We learn in classical because two stimuli are associated. We said we unlearn because we disassociate those two stimuli. In operant conditioning, how did we learn? We learned because the behavior was reinforced. So how do we extinguish a behavior that's developed because of reinforcement? We stop reinforcing it. And then, presumably, the behavior may go down. And when it does go down, it's definitely called operant extinction. When, what you find is that if you stop reinforcing a behavior, you might find that that behavior, at least initially, goes up. Well, why would it go up? Think about, I think about a vending machine. And I put in my money, I push the button, I want my candy bar. Okay. I am used to my behavior of putting in money and ultimately getting my reward. And I put in my money and I get my reward. And then the machine doesn't do that. It doesn't spit out my candy bar. So what do I do? Does my behavior of, of at least pushing the button go away right away? Oh, no. And not only will I hit it again without getting reinforced, I'll hit it again, and then I'll probably go about eight times trying to get it to work, which is that post-extinction uh, post burst. It's always worked in the past. It should work. You don't just do it once and twice and walk away. So let me give you an example of this. There is a behavior that we unfortunately totally reinforce with one of our dogs, our German Shepherd. We want our dogs to signal when they want out. We want our dogs to signal when they want in. So what's a nice signal? Well, go and sit by the door is a nice signal. Or sometimes they just go and paw the door very gently. Well, the problem is our German Shepherd decides that body slamming is the way to do it. And it's not a gentle little pat. And we thought, well, we, we'd have a nice pat. We'd let the dog in or out. We hear body slam. We let the dog in and out. And finally, we decided, no, we, gentlemen, has to be nice and, and knocked, knocked politely. So we decided... We were going to extinguish this. We reinforced them. We were letting them in and out even with the body slams. We totally reinforced that bad behavior. We were going to go through operant extinction. Body slam. Nope, Duncan, do not let him in. Body slam. Don't let him in. Body slam, body slam, body slam. <laughs> I was like, total post-extinction burst. And it gets so loud and we're worried about the neighbors being upset that we let him in that blows the whole extinction process, boo, and guess what he still does to this day, body slam, because we have not been effective in withdrawing the reinforcement, and the reinforcement is allowing him in and out. So do it, and it's like the kid who's screaming, the kid who's screaming, cry, 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 and you ignore it. No, I'm just going to ignore it. What happens? They scream louder. That is the post-extinction burst. All right. Now, operant extinction sounds somewhat like punishment in the sense that well, if extinction, operant extinction involves removing a reinforcer, well, that doesn't that sound like punishment? Sort of, but operant extinction occurs when you have developed a behavior using a reinforcer and you're taking that, you're just stopping the reinforcer. Punishment says there's a behavior that happens and then there's going to be a consequence for that action. So let's do the body slamming. We developed the body slamming because we had reinforced him for it. And now extinction means he body slams and what happens? Nothing. He body slams. Nothing happens. In that case, we're trying to extinguish a behavior that we, we developed because we reinforced it. And we're trying to extinguish it because we're taking away the reinforcement. We're not letting him in. What if we wanted to punish that? 
What if we weren't trying to extinguish the behavior we developed through reinforcement by taking away the reinforcer? How would we punish it? He body slams, so we don't just not let him in. We, well, I wouldn't, but it would be like you could go out and scold him. No, don't do that. Or, or maybe a little tap. But you would, you, you would have to have a consequence if we wanted to punish him. We're just trying to get rid of a behavior we reinforce by not reinforcing him. Punishment means you do something and there's going to be an, a, a, consequ- a consequence. Okay, very good, very good. What you should recognize that the behavior that's developed in this case is the, the whining behavior, sort of the tantruming behavior, and it's getting reinforced because when the kid tantrums, the mother gives it candy bar to make the kid be quiet. And then she decides, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to stop reinforcing this annoying behavior. And as she stops reinforcing, stops reinforcing, just sticks to her guns, doesn't reinforce, the behavior of whining goes away. And that's basically the definition of what operant extinction is. is stopping a reinforcer that developed the behavior, whining, such that over time the whining goes away if you don't continue to reinforce it. Okay, that's the end of the formal. You're free to leave, but I've got six or seven more questions that we can work through if you'd like. This is a, t- a tougher one for sure because the intention of father is not actually what happened. So here the, the behavior is the disrespectful attitude. As a consequence, the father is saying, go to your room. But she's actually happy about this because she's getting out of this uncomfortable situation. So what in actuality has happened? It's definitely been reinforced. She's going to do it again because she's actually happy with the consequence. She's likely to do it again. Why? Because she got out of the tense, politically charged atmosphere. So this is supposed to be, and it is, a, granted, a, a tough one. Just wanted you to think about. This is, 
trying to indicate that it's Oh, excellent. That's actually really good. It was a, a challenging one. That there, this is actually some reinforcement going on by taking away the aversive environment. And she's actually likely to act up again in the future. So if you have a behavior that you've learned and now you just no longer reinforce that behavior, that is extinction. And technically, it should say operant extinction because ultimately you're going to have to distinguish between classical extinction, but operant extinction is at work. And if you do a behavior and the consequence is unpleasant and now you're less likely to do it again, that's a definition of punishment. Very good. Very good. Most of you recognize that there's two things going on here. First of all, you have the behavior of dieting, and as a consequence, what happens? She's getting praised and complimented. She's likely to diet some more because something pleasurable has been received. So that's positive reinforcement. But what else happens? Meanness stops. And if you take away meanness, so it's making fun of her, then you've got some negative reinforcement as well.
So in this case, you have dieting behavior as your behavior in question. Consequences, you no longer have to take insulin. What's the likelihood of that behavior of dieting remaining or happening again in the future? It's gone up, so reinforcement, how? He wasn't praised for his compliance on a diet. He got to, he got to stop doing injections. He got to take away something that presumably is not very pleasant, is having to do injections. So very good, negative reinforcement. To turn this into positive reinforcement, what do I do? Oh, he's, yeah, he comes in, he's been adhering to his diet, and now, again, the doctor just commends him. Okay, commend my diet. Gives him money for having inject, uh, stuck to his plan. All right, excellent. So you ask yourself, which one of these increases behavior by giving pleasure? And the only one that really talks about increasing a behavior based on the fact that it gives you pleasure would be the one you chose, the running the marathon, because it gives you the sense of feeling good. What about working backwards? What would, what would be the best way of describing, you go to the doctors to get rid of pain, so you go to the doctors again? Negative reinforcement. What about, why do you fasten your car seatbelt when the buzzer's going off? That behavior, the fact that the buzzer goes off, are you likely to put the seatbelt on again? Reinforce because the obnoxious sound is taken away. So that is also negative reinforcement. How about putting on DEET to avoid disease? Again, negative reinforcement. And the first one, Attending lectures to get rid of your fear of failing again is probably negative reinforcement. So all those are negative reinforcement except for your positive reinforcement at the end. So this relates back to our discussion about stimulus control and those antecedent stimuli 
that get associated with the behavior that's been operantly conditioned. And what you need to, ooh, what you need to keep in mind is that the terms for those stimuli that predict the behavior that gets reinforced, those are just called discriminative stimuli. There is no generalized in this, in this world. So they are discriminative. If you look back on that lecture slide, that's just what they're called. If they're antecedent stimuli, they're just called discriminative. Okay, so that's why I like this question, just because it does remind that if we're talking about operant conditioning and the stimuli that get associated with the operant conditioning situation, they're just called discriminative. Just think about them as antecedent, okay? Antecedent, discriminative. And the fact is that she's feeling anxious and depressed, she eats, and the anxiety and depression get removed, so to speak. So it'd be negative reinforcement. Okay? So discriminative stimuli, synonymous with antecedent stimuli. question at stake, the behavior in question is doing homework, completing the homework. Consequence, nagging stops. Is doing homework likely to go up or down based on the consequence? Up, so it's reinforcement. Why did it go up? S removal of a noxious stimulus. So negative reinforcement. Very good, you're getting the hang of it. And I think last one and that'll be it. Once again, what's the behavior in question? You break curfew. Consequence, you get privileges removed. What's the likelihood of repeating the behavior of breaking curfew? Decrease, so it's punishment. How did you decrease it? Why to go down? Taking away something she liked. Okay. All right, that's it for actually for my lectures for this week, but I'll see you Friday for IMCQ.